All right. We are on to our fourth core value, every member a missionary. And let, let, me, let me help also kind of think about this with you and explain this with you for a minute. As we think about these core values, there are these arrows that are pointing us and kind of helping us accomplish our mission of making Jesus essential. But they are not things that we necessarily have already accomplished. As we're going to see, as we, I think, probably have seen last week, maybe the week before, and definitely we're going to see this week, this is not something that is currently true of us. But it is something that we are striving for and pushing toward to accomplish and to become. And so that's okay. These things are meant to push us. If you uh, did a study of, uh, of ancient Greeks, uh, you would find that they were master storytellers. Just think of all of the myths and the tales surrounding the pantheon of gods and all the stories that go with that. Or think of the Odyssey, uh, that book we all had to read in high school. Uh, and because the Greeks were so good at storytelling, because it was such an integral part of their uh, world, uh, we found in, 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 uh, these patterns and have developed this thing uh, that is called the hero's journey. Uh, that all good stories kind of have these kind of major arcs and guidelines to them. And so you'll find in almost every book or movie or story, you'll find a reluctant hero who doesn't think he has what it takes to win the big game or defeat the villain or win the girl. But along comes the guide, the wise old sage, this mysterious figure who comes to train and motivate and push the hero to fulfill their destiny and complete their mission, to get the girl to win the big game or to slay the villain. Think Obi-Wan Kenobi or Gandalf. Sometimes, I think, we are like the reluctant hero. We have been given a calling, a mission from our king, a mission and a calling that is before us, but yet, we don't think we are the man or the woman for the job. We have a mission, but we are reluctant to fulfill it because we're not good enough. We're not skilled enough. That, that's, not, that's somebody else's job. Someone else needs to do that. We don't think we have what it takes, so we don't do it. This morning, I want you to see what your calling is and that you can Throw away all the excuses. You can throw away all the things that you use to justify getting out of it because you have a guide. It's better than Gandalf, better than Obi-Wan. And the Holy Spirit who helps and empowers us to fulfill the mission, to fulfill the calling, to fulfill the destiny that God has given to you to accomplish in the world. Before we go much further, let's pray. God, this morning, we, this is a message that we all need to hear, that I first, among everyone, need to hear. This is a message that is challenging, and it's a message we've heard before. This is, this is nothing new for any of us who've been in church any amount of time. God, would you give it renewed vigor in our hearts, renewed vigor in our minds? Would you give it new conviction and new weight, and would you spur it to actually move us to action? God, be with us this morning in Christ. And we pray all people said. So, imagine with me, you've, you've come to trust Christ. 
When you were saved, whenever that was, you were baptized, you got plugged into some sort of small group, community group, some sort of discipling community, and you began to grow in your faith, you began to learn, uh, maybe through VBS or through Sunday school, whatever the case, and you began to grow, but now what? Now what has God called you to do? What are you supposed to do next? You know, he calls some really spiritual people to be pastors. He calls others to be missionaries and travel across the world to third countries. He calls some to be worship leaders. He calls some to serve in children's ministry or youth ministry. He calls some to serve in adoptive care or foster care or orphan care. He calls others to, to, to caring for the poor. He calls some to care for, for the homeless. He, he calls you to your vocation. Maybe you're a nurse. You're like, look, the Lord has called me to be a nurse, and that's, that's my thing, right? And you're there. And there's so many other things the Lord calls you to do. But sometimes we really struggle understanding where God may be calling us or where he may be leading us, what he may want us to do. Do I go to this college or that college? Do I marry this guy or that guy? Do I take this job or that job? Do I move here or move there? Do I serve in this ministry area or that ministry area? Do my gifts, do, what are my gifts? What am I supposed to do? We can really struggle to know where God might be calling and leading us. And sometimes we sit stagnant for a long time wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be faithfully living out this Christian life, this calling? What does God want me to do with my life? It's obvious. I see all these people, and it's like they know what God is having them to do, but what am I supposed to do? There is one area we can be absolutely certain that God is calling every single person in this room who follows Jesus, and not all of you in this room do, but every one of you that does follow Jesus, we can be certain he has called every single one of you. He has tasked every single one of you with a ministry, with a calling, with a mission that is very clear. You are a missionary. Now, you might protest. You say, Brent, God has not called me to move to some country across the ocean, to drag my family across the ocean, to learn a language I'm never going to be able to learn, or eat some strange food I'm never going to be able to eat. Honestly, that's why I'm not a missionary, because I would starve to death. I mean, unless I was called to like Italy, I could eat all the pizza, you know, but, but besides that, I'm, I'm dying. And you might say, Brett, I, I can't be a missionary. I'm not called to do that. And I would say to you, you're right. You might not be called to do that. I'm not saying that you are. But missionaries are not merely those who go to other countries. Missionaries are those who share the gospel and make disciples everywhere they go. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll remember this verse. Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is one of the last commands Jesus gives to his followers. And I want you to first notice where he tells them this command that you are going to be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Do you know where he tells them that? In Jerusalem, the first place he says. He tells them in Jerusalem to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they are. And then, do you know, he tells them to go to Judea. And do you know how far Judea is from Jerusalem? It's 19 miles. It's not very far. That's just like us going over to Lebanon or 
maybe whatever the next town over is, Middletown. And do you know how far Samaria is from Jerusalem? It's about three-hour car drive. I had to Google map it because these places still exist. That would be like us just driving down to Kentucky, down to, as someone told me this morning, Louisville. Louisville. Let's just be clear. It's Louisville, all right? So when Jesus commands his followers to bear witness about him, to share the gospel, to make disciples, he doesn't say everyone has to go to some foreign country. He doesn't say everyone's got to go to the ends of the earth. He says, do it right here where you are. And you can move out a little bit. And you can move out a little bit. Being a missionary starts at home. It starts in the very community in which you live. There are plenty of people you encounter every single day that do not know Jesus who are bound for an eternal hell, and maybe Jesus has sent you to them to bear witness about him. See, I think for too long, we have treated this calling as optional. I know I have. We wouldn't say that, but functionally, we have treated this mission, this calling on our lives as optional. We have treated this as if it is only for those really serious Christians who are really bold or really smart. But, but we memorize the command, right? Like we, we can quote Matthew 28. We can quote Acts 1.8. We can talk about it. We can memorize it. But we don't act on it. We don't obey it. We don't do it. And if we've just memorized it, if we just know it but don't do it, we have failed and our obedience to our king. This call to make disciples, this call to share the gospel is not optional for followers of Jesus. It is the most basic thing that we are called to do. The most basic. Our calling is clear. Bear witness to who Jesus is and make disciples. And we have a guide uh, who leads us, who has empowered us. We've been given, as Acts 28 says, we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us boldness. He helps us remember. He gives us words to say. He's like our Yoda. He tells us what to do. He helps us. You can be a light in the darkness. You can be an embassy proclaiming a kingdom in this foreign land. You can do it. Because I think it's time that we just stop making the excuses, stop being the reluctant hero, and start being the missionaries our king has called us to be, has commissioned us to be. See, it is not just an issue of our obedience. It's not just, you know, my own struggle. It's also an issue that eternity is at stake for people. We often talk about this great need in the world, right? And it is a great need when we talk about the almost 3 billion people in the world who exist right now who've never heard Jesus and don't know anything about him. Billion. That's a huge problem, and we've got we've to be a part of that solution. But there's another problem, and it's in our backyard. The fat, listen to me, this is fascinating. The fastest growing religious group in America are nuns. And I don't mean the cute little ladies in the black get up. Not N-U-N's. The fastest growing religious group in America are N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Meaning, their religious identity is none, nothing. They don't believe in anything. 
America has fewer people going to church than ever before. And, though, and it's in steady decline. And the number of people who don't believe is on the rise. America is becoming more and more secular. We are not a country where people uh, have, have no idea who Jesus is. And we're not a country who's just like, well, I've never heard of Jesus, don't know who that guy is. But it's, it's actually almost worse than that. We are a country made up of people who think they know who Jesus is, but are actually confused and wrong about him a lot of times. I meet, people, I meet people all the time who say they believe in Jesus, but as soon as you ask them about that, as soon as you push on that a little bit, clearly they have no idea who he actually is. Your neighbor, your coworkers, have learned more about God from the movies that they watch and the politicians that they listen to than they have from the Bible. They think they know and understand Jesus of the Bible, but in reality, most people have this misunderstanding. They either think Jesus is old-fashioned and out of touch, or they think that they're good enough. They think that they're good enough to make it their own way to heaven. They think that uh, all Christians are hypocrites, and they don't want to believe in that kind of God. And what do they do? They say, you know, I don't believe in a God like them. I believe in a God of love. I believe in a God who's like this. And they make up this own God in their own image. You see, while Christianity is in decline in America, interesting enough, spirituality is on the rise. Um, Religion is in decline. Christianity is in decline. But spirituality is on the rise. People are eager to learn about spiritual things. And so who do they turn to? Number one source, Oprah Winfrey. Not a lot. That's not a joke. People listen to Oprah, not just because she's funny or she likes to give stuff away, but because they believe she has the words to life. And they are in search of spiritual guidance. And what often happens is they're, 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 they're like culturally kind of Christian. They kind of, kind of identify with sort of kind of maybe Christian things, but then they kind of merge that with Oprah Winfrey New Age spirituality, and then it becomes nothing really to do with Christianity. There is a reason that other countries have already begun sending missionaries to America. Because we have neglected to be the missionaries in our own backyards. While we must continue to reach the world, America is a place that is headed in the wrong direction, and we must reach it. The data says by 2030, there will be more Christians in communist China than in America. And by 2060, there will be more Christians in Africa than the entire world put together. All while America is becoming more and more secular, more and more lost. The reason is not the, the, the things we like to say. It's not because we took prayer out of schools. It's not because we teach evolution in schools. It's not because our society wants to become more and more progressive. It is simply because you and I and the church have abdicated our role as missionaries to our neighbors and our coworkers and our backyards. And why have we done this? Why have we abdicated our role as missionaries? Five quick reasons, I think, that we use to justify our lack of missional work. One, we say just too busy. You know, we say that about a lot of things. I'm just too busy. But I don't think that it's actually that we're too busy because 
we always make time for what's important for us. And whatever it is in your life, if, you, if it's important to you, you make time to do it. You make an effort to do it. We will move heaven and earth. We will shift schedules. We will move nap times, and that's a big deal. We'll push off meal times. We'll manipulate. We'll work it out. If there's something that matters to us, we will get it done. If something is important, we'll make it happen. Our problem is not that we're too busy to make disciples. Our problem is that it's simply just not important enough to us. It's just not. If it was important to us, we would do it. And I know that sounds harsh, but I think it's true of me, and I think it's true of all of us. If following the commands of our king and making disciples was important, we would do it. Our problem is not that we're too busy. It's that other things just take priority. Other things are more important. It's not that we don't want to do it. These other things are just more important to do. The problem is we don't reprioritize. We don't slow down. We don't actually look for opportunities to share the gospel. We don't uh, look for meaningful conversations with people. But what if, what if you started every morning of your day before your feet hit the ground and you just, in your, in, the, in your heart, you said, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today. That's simple. Let me tell you, if you do that, be ready. Because there's some mornings I do that and I'm like, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, I ain't ready. Can I rewind? <laughs> because God will place someone in your path. Be ready to share the gospel. Sometimes I think we act like we're too busy, but really, it's not a priority. I think the second reason I think is we say it's fear, and I think fear is maybe one of the number one reasons we don't share the gospel or make disciples. And and honestly, I get it. Like it's scary. Like it's scary to go talk to somebody about Jesus. Like it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be scary. Once you do it, you realize, oh, that wasn't that bad. Once you kind of get through it. It's like taking a kid to King's Island and, and they don't want to ride that ride, but you peer pressure them and you threaten them with an inch of their life and you're like, you're going to get on the ride, son. And they do it and they cry the whole time, but then they get off and they're like, that was awesome, I want to do it again, right? In the same way, it's like scary to go talk to someone about Jesus, but once you do it, you're like, well, I can do that. That wasn't bad. I think sometimes the sphere, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of maybe losing a friendship. We're afraid of the awkwardness. That's a big thing. We're just afraid it's going to be weird. We're afraid of disagreeing, and now there's like this tension because like we got this weird disagreement in our friendship. Or maybe we're afraid of being labeled as like the Jesus guy at church. Maybe we're afraid that if we, if we become the Jesus guy at our work, then, then we won't move up. We won't get that promotion. There are all kinds of things we are afraid of when it comes to talking to other people about Jesus. But here's what's interesting. You can talk for hours about the things you're passionate about or interested in, even to total strangers. Man, just get some guys in a room who don't know each other, and they will talk about football forever. Get some girls in a room together, and they'll start, I don't know, I don't know what y'all talk about, cooking, I don't know, shopping, I don't know. But y'all talk about something. Whatever interests you, whatever you're reading about, whatever you're posting about, whatever you spend your time doing or thinking about, you'll just naturally start talking about and thinking about those things. Like, you can just talk about it. That begs the question, is the reason we're afraid or whatever to talk about Jesus, is the, is the reason 
because we don't actually spend enough time on our own with Jesus, thinking about, reading about, investing in the things of God, and therefore it just doesn't naturally come out. Talking about football naturally comes out because I'm reading about football all week. It's in the off season I'm reading about football. So I can talk about football, but maybe it's hard for me to talk about Jesus because I haven't thought about Jesus since the last time I was at church, and that was like at least two weeks ago. Maybe the issue isn't so much fear as it is we don't know what to say because I haven't thought about Jesus lately. Three, I think it's a lack of training. Now, you don't need a degree in theology to be able to talk about Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. It is not your job to save people. It is simply your job to share the truth with them to tell them who Jesus is, what, what he did, why it matters, and how they can follow him. Every one of you in this room who followed Jesus should be able to do that because you have to know it to come. And when the hard questions come up that you don't really know how to answer, when the hard questions are like, you're like, I don't know, you don't have to make up some answer. You can just say, that's a really good question. I have no idea. Let me find out and I'll get back to you. Like, that's okay. That's not like going to destroy your own faith. That's okay. Nobody comes to faith because they were convinced intellectually that evolution's not real, or they were convinced intellectually of the, of the resurrection. No one comes to faith that way. You don't have to be the convincer. People come to faith because Jesus captivates their hearts. So while training is helpful, if you know Jesus, you, you should be able to talk about him. Paul told the Corinthians, he says, I pretended to know nothing around you except Christ and him crucified. He says, I didn't come with elegant speech. I didn't come with this big show, this big thing, with these convincing arguments. I pretended to know nothing but Christ and him crucified so that your faith would only be in him and not man. Not in my ability to convince you, but in him and in his power to save. Guys, all you've got to do is tell people about a Christ who was crucified and risen from the dead. Christ and him crucified. That's all you've got to do. Four, one of the reasons is we assume everyone around us is saved. I think one of the reasons we fail to share the gospel is because we assume most people around us are Christians. We think that, that uh, maybe they've got a, uh, we, I think we have this faulty view of the world around us in America. We think that most people we encounter believe in God. That most people we encounter, maybe, you know, maybe they're not in church, maybe they're not living right, but, but they believe, and so they're good, they're safe. Right? They, they believe the right thing, so they're, they're fine. I think it is better and probably far more accurate for us to not assume they are saved, but to assume the opposite. I think it is probably far better to assume everyone that you meet that you don't know. Instead, that they're, that they're, that they're lost or separated from God, they're a child of wrath destined for hell, because that's probably what's actually Better assume that they need the gospel than assume they're fine and be wrong. I think we are all in for a rude awakening one day as we will watch people cast into hell, our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family, people that we could have sworn we, that went to church, people we could have sworn they believed in God, people we could have sworn were Christians. And on that day, we will wish we would not assume that they knew Jesus. We will have wished we had opened our mouth to ask. 
five, I think sometimes we are more concerned with fighting a culture war than winning hearts. I really debated whether or not to say this, because I don't want to say this because it's hard. But I think we need to hear it. And so put your, put your steel-toed boots on and, and just love me through it, okay? Because I love you. If you can be loud and proud, if you can research and read and comment and argue on Facebook about whatever cultural issue is important to you, right, left, or center, I don't care. But you have, if you're able to do all that, and you could argue and tell me all about why such and such is wrong or such and such is right, but you've never had a one-on-one conversation with someone about how to follow Jesus, you're doing it wrong. It is easy for us to get passionate about cultural issues. We need to get prayer back in schools. The LGBTQ agenda's taken over the world. My president's God's man, and he's the best. Can you believe so-and-so didn't use God when they said the national anthem? We can get up on these kicks and get all excited about them and post about them. It amazes me how vocal we can be, how researched, how well-read we can be, how big of cultural warriors we can be. And I think we deceive ourselves in thinking that in sticking up for these things, we're sticking up for Christian values or for the soul of America. But all we're actually doing is pushing people further away from Jesus. If you want to stand, if you want to change the culture, it will not be won through our social media posts. It won't be won through those arguments or standing up to your peers about what is right. Instead, the culture will be won through the preaching of a crucified and risen Christ. It will be won through humility, through kindness, through holding our convictions and not wavering, absolutely. But we can do that without being jerks. My concern should not be for whether or not they're going to allow prayer back in schools. Because honestly, I don't want anyone teaching my kid how to pray other than me or people in church. I don't want the school teaching my kid how to pray. My concern not that my Facebook posts are going to win this war. In fact, they're going to do the opposite. They're going to push people away. They hurt the cause of Christ, not help it. We are to be the people. The Bible says live peaceably with everyone. We are to be the people that let our reasonableness show. We are to be kind and gentle and patient and show love and show grace because we know who wins in the end. We know what king will be left reigning when all of it, when the dust settles? He doesn't need us to fight cultural wars on his behalf. He needs us to share a message of hope. He needs us to share a message of love, a message that can change the world, the message of a crucified and risen Christ who is coming to make all things new. Our job is to invite people into that story, not win the culture. Because here's the secret truth. The culture will be one when every heart bows and every knee bows to Jesus. You want to win the culture? Lead people to Jesus. And the culture will change. So how do we do that? How do we as a church and as followers of Jesus go about seeing people come to Christ? Do we need to all go grab a different street corner and start preaching on the street corner as people walk by and thumping our Bibles? 
Do we need to go hand out gospel tracts to everybody? Do we need to, when we go out to eat, you know, leave that fake $1 million tip that talks about the gospel on the back? Don't actually tip the waitress. Just leave that fake money there. She'll appreciate it. Do we just need to, every time we check out, not use a self-checkout and go tell every cashier we know that's what we check out about Jesus? No, please do not do any of that. There was a time not too long ago that you could actually go knock on people's door and they would let you invite you into your home, in their home. You could like share the Romans road with them. You could talk about the gospel and they'd get saved and they'd be at church next Sunday. Some of you in this room came to faith because some church came knocking on your door. But times have changed. You knock on someone's door today, they'd be like, what the heck are you doing here? There's a church plant in New Orleans that my buddy's at named Matt and they were really struggling to get this church plan off the ground. And uh, they were playing ultimate Frisbee in the park every single like week, multiple times a week, just to meet people in the park and try to talk to them about Jesus and try to invite them to church or whatnot. And, and so they were playing and playing. After a couple months, this couple that had been playing with them a lot uh, came to him and said, hey, aren't you like a priest or something? <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, can you do weddings? And he was like, well, yeah. Like, well, hey, we're getting married, and we don't know, like, anybody that can really do that. And, like, you're really fun to play Ultimate Frisbee with. We were wondering maybe if you'd do it for us. And, uh, and he was like, uh, yes, if uh, you'll come meet with me for three months for premarital counseling. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. That's cool. And so they did that. And over the next three months, he just shared the gospel with them every week. Meeting with them, talk, giving them marital advice, talking to them about marriage, but then sharing the gospel with them. Well, toward the end of that, the, the soon-to-be wife came to faith. She came to believe in Jesus. And then the husband was kind of not really into that, kind of not sure. And over the next six months, struggled. Their marriage was rocky as it got started. He didn't know what he was wrestling until finally he, he was coming to church, even though he didn't believe in any of it. He was, they were playing ultimate frisbee. He was, he was serving with the church. And finally the Lord broke through and changed his life. It took eight months to see those two baptized. Eight months of work for two. That is more normal today than we might think. Rosaria Butterfield was a professor at a liberal university, and she taught classes on LGBTQ theory. She was a lesbian, and she was uh, coming into town to speak at a conference, and all the pastors in the area, all the Christians were mad that she was coming into town and wanted to protest and hold up their signs. And the one pastor came to this other pastor and said, will you come out there and protest with us? And he was like, no, but I'll have her over for dinner. And so he invited Rosaria over to dinner with him and his wife. And, and, and she agreed because she was writing a book on the Christian right and their, you know, backwater ways, basically. And so she was like, this is free research. And so she went to dinner with this pastor and his wife. And, and you know what he didn't do? He didn't shove Jesus down her throat. He didn't tell her she was a sinner going to hell and she needed to repent or the fires of hell were going to get her. He just loved her. And they talked a little bit about Christianity. They talked about life and they became friends. And over the next year, they continued to meet together. They continued to have dinners together. She continued to be a part of their lives. And they, they began to talk about these hard, difficult things that she realized she didn't quite understand Christianity the way she thought she did. And you know what this pastor never did? He never made her, her homosexuality her biggest issue. He made her biggest issue her unbelief, her unwillingness to bow her knees to Jesus. 
and she, when she tells the story, she'll talk about how I needed to understand sin on a big picture level, that sin actually pervades everything. It messed everything up, and everyone's actually broken by sin. I needed to understand that before I could see my own sin. And after over the course of a year or so of them meeting together and talking together, she finally came to Christ, and now her life is a complete, complete 180 different. So you don't need to be a theologian or a preacher. You don't need to be to, to come and, and preach. You just need to be kind and patient and willing and able to talk about Jesus. You need to be hospitable. You need to, to invite people into your home to eat together, to invest in their life. You need to uh, share coffee with people. You need to just do life with people. Maybe that means grabbing coffee. Maybe that means having dinner. Maybe that means playing ultimate frisbee. Or maybe it means on break at work when you're getting uh, a snack or on coffee break, you talk about life together. You intentionally invest in people. You ask about their kids, about their family, what's going on in the world, and eventually you talk to them about Jesus. Like, take the long view. Not so long that you never talk about Jesus, but long enough that you actually care about the person and not just trying to beat Jesus into their head. I want to give you a few practical tips because I think many of us want to be someone who makes disciples. We want to be missionaries in our community. We want to share Jesus, but we don't know how to start conversations. We don't know how to get there. So a couple practical tips. One, invest in people's whole lives. Do not see people just as uh, someone that you need to get a decision to Christ with really quick. See them as someone who has a whole life that's complicated that's full of ups and downs and fears and goals and hopes and desires. Invest in their whole life. Be there for them. Speak into their life. Help them. Serve them. Model the gospel in front of them. And when it's appropriate, speak the gospel and apply it to their life. Two, ask a lot of questions. Maybe you are scared to bring Jesus up, or maybe you don't know how to. Maybe you're afraid how they'll respond. Regardless, it is always best to just ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. People love to talk, and it also earns you the right to speak, because if you've asked questions and you're a good listener and you just shut up for a minute and listen, listen to people, not only will it tell you a lot about them, but now when they're done talking, they got to listen to you. I've listened to you for 45 minutes, your turn. So, so here's some questions. Here's some questions to ask. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Now, I didn't say, hey, do you believe in God? That's, not, that's too much. Just, hey, I've been thinking about spiritual things lately. What do you think about spiritual things? What do you think about, do you, do you believe in anything? Do you believe in anything? And then just listen. What about, who, who is Jesus to you? What do you think about Jesus? And just listen. Or do, like, what do you think, do you believe in heaven or hell? What do you think happens when we die? And Listen. And then here's a great segue question. If what you believe is not true, would you want to know? Everybody's going to say yes. Asking questions isn't hard. It isn't threatening. It's not offensive. It's not awkward. People love to talk about themselves. So when you're on break at work, when you're sitting next to those other parents on the bleacher at the soccer game, when you're having coffee with a friend, just ask some questions. Ask a lot of questions. Do a lot of listening. Earn the right to speak and then share the truth. And one way to do that is to share your story. Share your story. Like, 
after listening to someone, if you say to them, hey, man, that's really fascinating. Do you mind if I share my story with you? You know what no one's going to say? Nope. I want to hear your story. Sure, yeah, let me hear your story. And you can tell them about how, how, who you were before Jesus and how you came to know Jesus and when, what that was like for you and how it's been since and how it's changed your life. You can tell them about that. And you know what? They can't argue with it. They can't say, that's not true because it's your story. Of course it's true. Of course it's changed your life. You don't need all these like tools They're helpful, but you don't need to know the Roman road. You don't need to know four spiritual laws. You don't need to know three circles. Some of you don't even know what any of that is. You don't need it. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to preach on street corner. You just need to be hospitable and kind and listen and pray for God to give you an opportunity. And when he comes, hesitate. Let me tell you about my Jesus and what he's done in my life. Let me tell you about how he died on a cross and rose from the dead and how that could change your life too. Every one of you in this room is equipped to do that. This is important because eternity is at stake. It's important because our king has called us to this task and we are supposed to obey him. It's important because we are, we're like lighthouses guiding lost souls in turbulent seas. And if we turn our lights off, they will crash. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How is the question? How will your children be saved unless you preach the gospel to them? How will your coworker be saved unless you share the gospel with them? How will your neighbor be saved unless you share the gospel with them? How will the other parents on the ball team, on the bleachers next to you, be saved unless you share Christ with them? How will they hear if you do not tell them? Are you just waiting for some other serious Christian to come do the work for you? How? I've been thinking about this message for a long time because it was supposed to happen a year ago. And in thinking about this message, I wanted to give a, a challenge, a lofty, a, a difficult challenge, but an obtainable challenge to all of us. And here's what I wanted to challenge us to do. I wanted to challenge that every member of our church over the course of the next year would make one disciple. And so I started asking people, hey, what do you think about this? If I challenge our church that over the course of the next year, that everyone in our church would make one disciple. And do you, I mean, I asked a lot of people, and do you know what every single person told me? Too big. Nobody will do it. Too lofty. It'd fail. It wouldn't come close. The problem is they're probably right. Probably not wrong. Because the sad truth is every one of us has been called to make disciples, to share the gospel and disciple those we be, to believe in it. But many if not most of us, we've followed Jesus for a long time, a long time, and we've never made one disciple. Every member a missionary is not a core value because we've arrived at it. It's a core value because we won't stop until everyone here sees themselves as the missionary God has made. Because if you are in Christ, you are a missionary. The only question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. So my challenge to you is not the challenge I wanted to give. My challenge to you is this. You are here today, and you would say, Brent, I am 
scared to death, and I'm so worried that I'll fail. I want to do this. I want to make disciples, but I'm scared I'll fail. But I want to be a missionary at my work, in my home, my school, with my friends, on the ball field. I want that. I want to do that. And while we're singing, commit to doing it by grabbing that green ball and dropping it in. Marking the moment. He said, I'm, I'm going to start taking this seriously. And tomorrow morning, before your feet hit the ground, in the silence of your own heart, pray. God, give me an opportunity today to share the gospel and give me the courage to follow through. Well, let's just start there. Let's start there and let's keep working until every member of our church is a missionary. Imagine if we released 200 missionaries in Mainville, Lebanon, Mason, Ohio. Imagine what would happen. What if we stopped using all of our excuses and started taking the commands of Jesus seriously and started prioritizing most important? So that's my challenge to you. Commit right now to do it when we sing by dropping that green ball in. And here's the incentive I'll give you. I'm going to share something that I get to do with you. If you lead someone to Christ, if you make a disciple, you share the gospel and they come to Christ, when it comes time to baptize them, I'll let you do it. It's kind of unfair that I get to finish the work other people do sometimes. And so I want you to finish it. You share the gospel and lead someone to Christ. I'll let you finish the work. I'll let you dunk them. It'd be awesome. I don't know if that's motivating to you or not, but hopefully it is. We exist to make Jesus essential. That always begins by hearing about Christ and him crucified. And most likely the way people are going to hear about Christ and him crucified is not because they're going to come in here. They don't want to come in here. They don't want to hear me talk but it'll be through their coworker or friend or neighbor telling them. You be that friend. You be that coworker. You be that missionary. Let's stop being the reluctant hero who doesn't think they can do it. God has filled you and empowered you with the Holy Spirit to accomplish this very task. Trust him. I will not stop pushing until every member of our church sees themselves as the missionary God has called them to be and let it start today by, as we sing, commit to doing it, to taking the first step. Grab that green ball, drop it in. Let's show that we're gonna do this together. Right. Father, we come to you right now. And this is a hard thing. This is a difficult thing. This is a big, weighty, uncomfortable thing. And it's easy for us in this room to feel guilty about our lack of doing this in the past. It's easy for us in this room to, to feel the shame of, 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 of failure on our part for doing that. God, forgive us for where we failed in making disciples. And let's get past the guilt. We don't need to live there. There's no guilt in life because the cross is empty, the tomb is empty, and we're forgiven. But God, today, would you empower us with your spirit to become the kind of disciples who make other disciples, who are missionaries? Would you empower us today to be the kind of church who doesn't just want to sit here and be comfortable and enjoy our own songs and sit in our chair and enjoy our friends and enjoy our own potlucks and do all this stuff. Let us be people who have declared war, not with swords and bows, but declared war with a crucified and risen Christ with a message that will change the world. God, give us the boldness and the courage to talk 
about the one who has changed our lives. Help our priorities to be changed. Give us the courage to take this first step that as we sing this song to come grab this green ping pong ball and throw it in this case. Marking the day we said, hey, it's time to take this serious. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus I've been talking about and you want to know him, I'm going to stand right here and there's going to be two guys on the side that we would all love to talk with you about how to follow Jesus. But if you're here and you say, you know what, it's time for me to take this seriously and I want to make some disciples and tomorrow morning I'm going to pray for God to give me an opportunity and I want to start taking this more seriously as we sing right now. Come grab this green ball and drop it in. God, give us the courage to become the missionaries you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray all people said, stand together.